That's a question. Good job. I was thinking some of y'all might jump back two weeks ago. Way to go, Colin. Way to be on top of things. Hopefully you watched kids up here singing and doing all kinds of stuff. I had kids thrown up at home. That's what I watched all night. But y'all got to watch something much better than me. And then the week before that, we did what? We talked about Mary, and more specifically, we talked about the fact that she broke out in spontaneous song, right? I had to go watch Tangled with my boys, because any animated movie that comes out, we got to go watch. And by the way, Tangled is actually a good movie. It's probably one of the better Disney movies that have come out since, like, Beauty and the Beast. They went back old school. They went, um, the animation's computer, but... But they went back old school with, like, theme and good versus evil and, yes, breaking out in song randomly. Um, so it's worth seeing in 3D. It's still in theaters. You got to go see it. Uh, but go see Narnia first because it's more important. Anyways, um, so, yeah, just like Tangled or any of those other movies, Beauty and the Beast is another one. Uh, Mary broke out in spontaneous song after who? She remember she went and visited somebody. Elizabeth, who is her relative, good job, when in doubt, go safe, Elizabeth is her relative, anyway, she goes to relative's house after she finds out she's pregnant, after she finds out from the angel that she's bearing the Messiah, after Joseph, I don't know, we don't know if Joseph had had the dream yet or not, but anyways, she goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth, she walks in the door and she says, hi, I'm here, and Elizabeth does what? She freaks, right? Not only does she freak, but the infant inside of her freaks, does a total flip. John the Baptist, first time appearing on the scene, is in his mother's womb flipping out because he heard who? Mary's voice. And just by hearing Mary's voice, John the Baptist, whose sole purpose was to do what? Prepare the way of the Lord, right? That whole song that... uh, Christ of the Nations came out with several years ago, um, was all, all, all about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, and just on a side note, this is a perfect message. You know, you guys love to quote the, the scripture in Jeremiah that says, for I am create, what is it? For I know the plans I have to prosper you. Right. And, and we, we love quoting verses like, I knew you before I knit you together in your mother's womb and all those kind of things. Well, those aren't just romantic verses to make you feel pretty about yourself. Because God, from the moment of inception, probably really before that, God had a plan for each and every one of us. And this is a great passage to look at that because John the Baptist is an infant. There's no way where rationally or logically or mentally this infant, his brain isn't even developed yet for capacity of understanding voice recognition and things of the sort, especially not Mary's voice. But here's this infant who recognizes the mother of the Messiah. And that is a great passage for us because it indicates and it reveals to us that God, that those words that we like to quote when we talk about self-esteem and stuff are not just about self-esteem, but God has a plan for each and every one of us from the time he knit us together in our mother's womb. 
And here's this infant who mentally doesn't have the capacity to know any of that or understand any of that, is totally underdeveloped, can't even function on his own without his mother's blood and heart pumping for him and whatnot. Well, his heart's beating at this point. But oxygen and food is all coming from his mom. And yet this infant recognizes that he's in the presence of the Messiah. This infant just in nature itself recognized that his purpose for being was in his presence. Look at Romans chapter 1 then, where God says that he made himself known through what? His, through creation. And we are part of God's creation. And even before we understood or knew our purpose, even before you and I got saved, we played a role in God's purposes for humanity. And as part of creation, the cells that compose our bodies, take out our rational brain, just, just the physical nature of our bodies were created with one purpose primarily, and that was the glory of the king and to serve his purposes. And this passage that we, we pass over often in the Christmas story has so much depth to it because this baby, when he hears Mary walk in and say, hi, I'm here, he leaps and flips inside because the, the essence of this nature, of this creation, has been built and created to prepare the way for the child that Mary's carrying. And even before John the Baptist had the rational capacity to understand his calling and to surrender to a calling as part of God's creation, the cells, the skin, the blood coursing through his veins had purpose. That's amazing. Stop and think about that the next time you want to think about self-esteem issues. When you look in the mirror and you feel ugly. When you feel like it's not fair because your parents are stricter than others. When, when you don't have as much money as everyone else. And those kind of things. Stop and think about that. Think about the fact that even when you are running away from God, even when you are choosing to disobey God, you are a part of God's creation. And, and while rationally you might choose to sin, your body longs to do, fulfill its purpose. That's pretty deep. Stop and think about it. And then we wonder why when we're struggling with habitual sin or whatever, why we're tired, why we get depressed, why nothing works out, why, yes, indeed, they've done studies, you are more prone to sickness and things of the sort. Now, some theologies take that a step further and go into, like, faith healings and stuff, you know, and name it, claim it type stuff. But we can't go too far to the other side because we've got to remember one thing, and that is what? That we're created for a purpose. And our rational mind cannot manipulate God into fulfilling our purposes. Our body longs to fulfill the purposes for which we were created. Isn't that amazing? So the flip side of that coin is, when we are walking in the center of God's will, we experience things like we talked about this morning. True joy, contentment, happiness. Isn't that amazing? I can tell y'all aren't amazed. I'm simply and utterly amazed. Yes. Because our bodies are part of God's creation. Romans 1 says that creation is yearning for Christ's return. For all of creation to be put back into right standing with God. 
when man sinned, creation bore the effects of sin. Indeed, all sickness is consequence of sin. Now, you can't take that too far and say, if you lie, you're going to have zits. Or if, you, if you're still, then you're going to you know, have digestive problems. That's not what it's talking about. But sin in general, because of the condition of sin, our bodies get sick. Remember, before Adam and Eve sinned, they were going to live forever. Indeed, after man sinned, progressively we see the age span of human beings getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. I mean, those old guys in the, Bible, in the Old Testament were living up to like 900-something. Can you imagine that? Well, it would be totally different. Our bodies, the wear and tear on our bodies are a consequence of sin in general. And so just as earthquakes, volcanoes, floods, those type of things are the creation's way of yearning, of expressing that, that it's out of sync, out of order. They were created for a purpose to demonstrate the glories of God. And yet we've turned them into something else. The same thing with our bodies. We believe that we have ownership over this flesh. But we don't. This flesh was created by God as part of his creation. And when we demand ownership of our flesh and we do things, that's why when we read certain sins in the Bible, it says we're sinning against our bodies because we are causing God's creation to not do what they were created for but to do things to our own bidding. That's why when you read about like sexual immorality, it talks about sinning against your one's body because this flesh was created to be united with one woman and one woman only to reproduce, to spiritually and emotionally engage, become intimate, to leave its father and mother and to cleave and become one with one woman. And when, when we step outside of that, we're not just sinning against the Lord, we're causing his creation, his flesh itself, with, with it, within which we, our soul, which is also God's creation, resides in this flesh. We're causing this flesh to go against what it naturally desires and needs. That make sense? I went way too deep. That was all two weeks ago. But it's one of those things that when we read Christmas stories all the time, you and I, we hear them every year, and if we're not careful, we pass over so much good stuff in here. So tonight, Luke chapter 3. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. That's, that's amazing in and of itself on its own because we, we know the last time we heard about Jesus after his birth, when we go through the story and life of Jesus, it was back when he was being kind of dedicated, brought before the, the, the priests during the time. Remember when Mary and Joseph leave him there, they accidentally forget him, or they don't really forget him, but because Jewish families would go in, together into Jerusalem, it was a time of feasts, they took off and some, somebody thought somebody knew where he was. Shoot, that happens to me every Sunday morning. You know, I think I've got Max and Josh and Kim has Tate, and she thinks that I have Tate or Josh or Max, and they're running amok in the church, you know, and that just happens. Well, they left Jesus, so we know in about 12-ish, Jesus was there, son of the carpenter, uh, and then we don't see him again for about 30 years until he starts his ministry. That's interesting. What happened during those years? We don't know, but we can guess. I'll, I, if I were to guess, 
you know, a lot of people say, well, nothing meaningful happens, so we just don't have a recorded Bible. Well, that's a lie. What happened from the time Jesus was like 12 till 30? Remember what was the last thing that we saw happening to him? Anybody remember? He was getting disciplined by Mary and Joseph. How dare you run off and not tell me where you're going? You had us worried. You know, sound familiar? If I were to guess, I'd say from the time he was 12 till he began his ministry at 30, Jesus was a good son. There's a whole other lesson for you, Utes. Anyways, not what we're talking about tonight. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. So what was he doing those, all those years? He was the son of Joseph, meaning he was walking in obedience to his earthly parents, meaning he had gone to Jewish school. He had not been selected to follow a rabbi. So Jesus in his carnal body, by human standards, was not the smartest cookie in the book. He had then gone on to be an apprentice of his father, carrying on the family legacy of carpentry. Okay, So he was just a good boy. And we go on. So he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, who was the son of Halai, the son of Matthat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jenai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, Math, Math. The son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josesh, the son of Jodah. Wow, almost like Yoda. The son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melik, Melki, Melchi, Milky. I like Milky better. The son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Meth- Meth- yeah, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of El- Eliakim, the son of Milia, the son of Minna, the son of Mathetha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Solomon, the son of Nashon. The son of Aminabab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serub, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Salah, the son of Canaan, the son of Ephraxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of the son of Kenan, the son of Enish, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. When was the last time you read that? In fact, Michael just put it as most of us would think. Who cares? Here's another one of those stories in the Christmas, or points in the Christmas story that if we're not careful, we pass over. That is incredibly important. This is incredibly important. Why would this be important? 
Point one. Yeah, there's a good one. We're all children of God. Okay, what else? Yeah, there's another phenomenal point. We can see God's promise to Abraham fulfilled. We can see through lineage how God is fulfilling his promise. And with this Messiah, Jesus, who would die for the salvation of mankind, he will save generations, right? Okay, what else? Anna. Okay. Right? Calls Adam the son of God. What else? Listen, the lessons that we can pull out of that are too much to mention tonight. But it's one of those passages that if we're not careful, we read over. In fact, we don't even read it. We see the list of names and we skip and move on. But it's incredibly important. Tonight, for our sake, I'm going to bring out just a couple of reasons it's incredibly important. As we're talking about John the Baptist and his purpose that God had for him, as we read this list of names, who out of this list, lengthy list of names, was perfect? Jesus and God. The beginning and the end. Outside of that list, no one else was perfect. And for you and I tonight, as we talk about purpose, as we talk about God's creation, we can take so much solace from this passage. Because as we read these list of names that we, if we're not careful, we think don't matter and no one cares. What I see is a list of dozens of men who lived and walked the earth, who failed God time and time again, and yet in spite of themselves, God had a purpose for their life. And I bet none of them, or the majority of them, never really understood or comprehended that their purpose for living carried on well beyond their death. That they were going to be a part of the lineage of the Messiah that would save all of mankind. And yet, here they are listed. And the same can be true for you and me today. You might think that your life is incredibly unimportant. Or you might feel like you have zero impact. But the reality of it is, is that the, the ways of God are so much higher than ours, as Isaiah 55 says. Who can fathom the ways of God? God has a plan and a purpose for you and I. And he fulfills his purposes most of the time without us even realizing that he's doing it. Yet we can take solace, we can take comfort, and true joy comes from knowing that I am his. That he will fulfill his purposes and that it's not solely my responsibility to live a life that is pleasing to him and that I'm going to, if I'm not careful, I'm going to mess up his plans for my life. Because here is a list of people that notoriously time and time again messed up and yet God uses them as part of the lineage through which he will bring the Messiah, the perfect one, the Savior of all mankind. When we think of things in that light, then it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. We can realize that our joy truly can come from the Lord and not from our circumstances as we talk about joy today. 
Because it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. If I'm sick, hurting, pain, if school's crumbling, work is falling apart, I feel like I have no meaning, I feel like I'm ugly, I will never get that boyfriend or that girlfriend. God will probably come back on the day I get married before I consummate in the honeymoon. Oh, what a horrid prospect for you guys. Just think about all those things that you fear. You don't have to. Because they do not bear on God's will, plan, and purpose for your life in a negative way. In reality, they bear on the plan and purpose for your life in a positive way. Because God ordains the steps of a righteous man. Right? So even the terrible times in our life, God allows us to go through those things because they fit in, they mold and shape us into who he wants us to be in the plans and purposes for our life. Boy, I can take joy in that. I can take joy in the fact that here comes this Messiah, this baby that in a couple weeks, this little doll that will be laying in a little, well, we can't call it a manger anymore. Thanks, Richard. (laughs) Be laying in a little wooden thing up here, maybe. Maybe we won't even do it. Maybe we'll just dig a hole in the stage and we'll put him in there. This little doll will be laying up here. That little baby that came that would become the Savior of mankind that would die on the cross for my sins. I can experience true joy because I know Him. Because I know that He holds my future. I know that He has a plan for me that began before conception. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. I'm not just in limbo. The struggles I face are not because God has abandoned me. He's been there all along. He's known before each time I would stumble and fall. And he's put the people or the things in my life at the appropriate time to pick me back up. God has always had a plan for me. And I fit into the bigger picture. That's what this passage tells me. Talk about joy in Advent season. That brings joy. When you go halfway around the world on these mission trips that you will go on, when you go down to Austin Street Street Shelter or Union Gospel Mission, when you're dealing with the homeless, the wreaked, the, the, the havoced people, the people that have suffered life things like earthquakes or fires or things like that, when they have no hope, we bear the one who's by very definition, is hope. Because when, when the world caves in around us and our view of the world gets very narrow and very small and we can't see tomorrow, we can look at passages like this and we can show passages like to this to these people and we can say, listen, God has a plan for you that's bigger than all of this. And this is merely a speck in part of God's plan for your life. And you don't understand it now, and you don't have to understand it now. That's the beauty of our God. He will take care of his purposes and his plan. And you can take solace in the fact that he has not abandoned you. He is here with you in the midst of these trials. That's amazing. 
because every other religion in the world tells us that we need to do things to fit into the plan of the God or gods. What this tells us is that we can do nothing to step outside of the plan or plans of our God. That brings joy. That is amazing. Wow. It's no coincidence then that God or the Spirit influences Luke to write this list only to be followed by Jesus' temptation in the desert. Think about that. Jesus turns 30 and Luke tells us of his lineage and all those who struggled and gone on before and helps us see that we fit into God's plan and then he sends Christ and his humanity and deity all in the same one out into the desert to be tempted. And Jesus is able to overcome temptation even in his humanity without drawing on his deity. Because if he drew on his deity, then he, he wouldn't be 100% human. And I don't understand that. And seminary classes teach that. You can ask Kiva. She's in the room. She'd be glad to answer that question for you. But, but he had to overcome those things as a human. And I'm sure in part he draws on this, his legacy. It's no mystery that Luke points out that he entered the ministry at the age of 30 as the son of Joseph. Because Jesus, when he's tempted in the desert, we find out that he draws back on the word that he has put in his mind being raised as a Jewish boy. Remember? Because Satan uses the word out of context to tempt Jesus, and Jesus replies all three times with Scripture, the Word of God. Jesus used his education and his upbringing. Jesus uses his upbringing as the son of a carpenter. Carpentry takes incredible amounts of what? Patience. Patience. Especially back then, because there were no such things as power tools. And in order to make furniture right, it takes time. I'll never forget when I first got here, we had these shelves that we had moved from the old building, and we were moving them into the, what is now the old youth room. And, uh, and they, just, they were just this 70s wood paneling type stuff, you know. And so we just were going to paint them black. So Kyle and I just bought some black paint and just painted them. I mean, who's going to put books in a youth room? I don't know why. Anyways. But we put them in there. We had a couple shelves. We were going to put all these Bibles that had been in boxes that we moved over. It's amazing how churches just keep stuff and refuse to let it go, you know. But So we're going to paint these shelves. And we're painting them. We're putting them over there. And Scott Grigsby comes in the room. Y'all know Scott. Scott is a carpenter. He works with wood and all this stuff. And he comes in and he goes, man, you know, if, if, uh, if you'd told me you were going to use these, I would have stripped them and and, uh, you know, sanded them down and then painted them right because that paint might scratch off, you know. And, of course, Kyle and I were just like, who cares? <laughs> but Scott cared. And sure enough, the paint kind of started scratching off. And we got rid of them after a little while. But Scott knew because Scott, Scott is a carpenter. 
and it takes incredible amounts of patience. And as Jesus is out in the desert and Satan is tempting him, Jesus has to draw, because he's human, Jesus has to draw on his humanity, his experience, his knowledge to carry him through. And he draws on the knowledge he learned as a youth growing up that we don't hear about in the Bible. And he draws on his experience growing up as a son of a carpenter to patiently wait on the Lord, to trust in the ways of the Lord that have been given to him and dedicated to memory as every Jewish boy would have done. And not to excellence because he wasn't selected to follow in a apprenticeship with a rabbi. So here's common, ordinary carpenter's son in a long list of men that had faltered and failed, yet the Savior of the world. And you and I can draw joy from that because we don't have to be perfect students and adults. We don't have to live a life of perfection for our King. He wants to make us perfect through himself. All he wants from us is a heart that is willing to let him do his thing. As you celebrate Advent and Christmas time, remember, remember whose you are and experience true joy because this life journey is exactly that, a journey. So, in the great words of Robin Williams, because I don't know the real author. I just watch movies. I don't read books. Carpe diem. <laughs> Who said that? No, I know in the movie he did. I'm talking about that's out of a book, believe it or not, students. Yes, most movies come from these things called books that y'all don't really know what they are. But... Um, Carpe diem, seize the day. Suck the marrow out of life, right? Dead Poet Society, good movie. Uh, anyways, experience true joy and enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey with the Lord. Don't rush it. Just enjoy it. Because we have a God who loves us, who died for us, who created us with a plan and a purpose, and he's working that plan and purpose out in spite of us. And we can take joy in that. Lord, I pray that you would help us celebrate you this season. I pray as the hustle and bustle gets going that we would be reminded whose we are and that we could take true joy in that. Now go with us as we go and carol the shut-ins and, and let us really bring your spirit and your love and joy to them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.